Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. joined by some special guests for the first live Wise Men's Here podcast. The ISIS is our setting. The Stadium of Light is in mid-distance view. Let's do this. This is Stephen Goldsmith with the latest edition of the Wise Men's Here podcast, live from the ISIS, sponsored by The Bunker. Um, well, I'm not going to lie, anybody listening back to this now, um, we, this has gone wrong, but they will be used to it, because people who listen to the podcast, and how many times have we said that the studios have broken, we've had, we've had to pretend it's all improvised from the start again. So, as I was just saying, you know, I've, I've read out live bulletins for Sun FM, and thousands of people listen to them, but you're just in a room with a red light, this is scarier, dodgy characters, friends, family, we'll move on, right? Um, <laughs> I will, um, I will, as I've said, you, I'm, I'm relying on Martin Smith a lot here to be allowed because he was a great guest when he came on the podcast before. We've got Martin Smith here and we have got Richard Mason from the Northern Echo and we have got Graham Anderson from the Southern Echo. Graham, I don't know if you want to pretend that golf story is going to come naturally again or is <laughs> it past? Is it past? <laughs> 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 <In> the first. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, right, okay, the Fulham game. We got beat, nobody's happy about it. What I was thinking before the game, I was saying, you know, you, you, you can't define a season by one defeat. But I felt, Martin, before the game that for the players, you know, you're saying they're working double shifts and the, a lot of the fans aren't convinced with the canyon. There's still some there. You just felt like a win would have really kick-started the belief for everybody. But, you know, forgetting about the result, the performance was good, wasn't it? I thought so. I thought the uh, the new players, I, I can't say anybody could look at the new players and thought we had a bad one amongst them. You know, they all started well. Um, foreign lads who just come in the country played well. And apart from getting the goal, it was it was a decent performance. Now, probably could have still been playing now, wouldn't have scored. So there's things to work on, but they say the basics and uh, the fact we look fitter than last year, uh, the qualities brought in, it just boards well for a better season but you just need that first win you know the, the first win is paramount if we'd have got a Saturday you're going to Southampton with a bit more confidence but um, say the longer it goes without it you don't want to develop a lose momentum do you no but no that's but what I'm saying. So as, as a player would, would you not be first game of the season would you try and not be too disheartened are the players still likely to be you know really believing in what he's all about I think so especially with the Canio I think Especially during the summer, I think that was the reason we all went into the game with so much hope because you buy into De Canio makes you believe. You, you watch him on the telly and you just think, yeah, and we're yeah, you know, he just comes across brilliant. Um, but we never got the result. But you say, listen to him, you think Southampton will have them up for it again. Southampton's not going to be easy, but you just think once we get a result, 
and we get scoring goals, things will turn around. It's not, it's not going to be an easy season. As I say, I think we bought all these players in. You think, right, are we going to kick them up the league? But I think maybe Saturday was just that sort of reality check where you think it, it's going to be another season. Maybe just yeah. consolidation and just building again. Graham, you've seen a lot of Sunderland players over the years make the debuts. Anybody stand out for you on Saturday? Um, I like Dory. Um, I like Cabral. Um, I, I was impressed by Sluska's shot, even if he, yeah. he, he looked a bit raw. I thought they all had decent debuts. It was a bit like Martin said. I saw Martin for the game and he said, weird that getting beat. No one really had a bad game. And uh, that was true. They all looked all right, but they, they lacked, I thought they lacked a cutting edge. And I, and I, I thought they were like an orchestra without um, a conductor. Use Martin's mic. <laughs> or Richard's. Use Martin's, you're right. I, I felt... I felt is it me? <laughs> I, I, felt, I, I felt as though they were like an orchestra without a conductor. I felt as though the, the, what they lacked was a driving force, lacked a ball or that sort of centre midfield he's, he's on about. They all played well enough. They all played neat and pretty and sort of some nice touches. But there was no one really driving them on, and, and that showed after they conceded the goal. Uh, there was no one that sort of really rallied them, you know. And that, so I, I, I think there's still a player or two missing. That's that's the thing people's been saying, cutting edge, Richard. I would say that that's what most people have said, fans, journalists. Is that going to be on the players' mind as well? Do you think? Do you think they they're aware when they're playing? You know, we, there's somebody we're lacking a bit something here creatively. I, d I don't think they would be. I think they'd probably all be able to think that they could do the job themselves. I mean, Greg Gardner's coming back into the team on Saturday. He could probably think he could be that engine room in midfield. I mean, he's, he, he could probably feel he's done it before. So I don't think they feel there's a man missing here. I think it's just a case of, you know, Paolo Di Canio wants to bring somebody in to, to link the midfield and the striker. And do you think there's a man missing, Martin? Do you think there's anybody in the squad who could do that job? Because um, I still think we need a centre midfielder who can pass the ball more mm. than 20 yards just somebody who can just spray it out wide yeah. Yeah. just spray it wide and get the wingers in the game earlier um, I think the wingers got the ball a lot quicker than they did last year on Saturday but I still think they need somebody who can just pass the ball 30-40 yards mm -hmm. you know. How disappointed Graham was to Canio that he didn't get Tom Huddleston because I, the reason I say that is because I, I mentioned this on the podcast last week um, when I interviewed him last week I could tell he was. A, I could. I sensed he was disappointed by it because he said we'll have. He said something like we'll have five new players tomorrow. It should have been six. And I, I took that as a subtle. You know, he looked. He seemed disappointed by it. We me, we mentioned to him this week about Tom Huddleston, and he said he didn't want to talk about him. And that was within 24 hours of him joining Hull. And um, he definitely wanted. We knew in June he wanted him. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic now at Sunderland with. Um, You've got the situation whereby it isn't in the manager's hands any longer who stays and who goes. He has his preferences. Uh, he gets offered players. He wanted Tom Huddleston. I heard that he actually rang Tom Huddleston just before he, he moved to Hull. So he was clearly desperate to get him. Um, but Sunderland are hamstrung at the moment by you know the finances. That's how I think it's a, it's a very difficult tightrope for them to walk. It just seems strange to me, uh, Martin, that we've needed one this kind of midfield player for two years now. Since Steve Bruce brought the likes of Craig Gardner and Vaughan of the club, we haven't had a centre midfielder who can dictate player really, unless you're playing in a, you know, a three-man midfield. So, I mean, he, I know he signed all these players. Graham said he wanted Hudson since June, so obviously I'm assuming there was a lot of work trying to go into that, but it just seems, when, when was the last time we seen a player like that at Sunderland? Do you? Um, think, can anyone think no. of that? Anybody? Alex I mean, Alex Ray, yeah, Alex used to get it, and he could mm. spray the ball around. Um, 
But is it? It depends. I mean, there's not that many out there, and if you want them, you're going to have to pay big money for them. I think Tom Odlston would have been a good signing, in my opinion. But he, I think the budget sort of dictated what uh, went on there. I think what queer the pitch was uh, Giacciarini. I don't think they thought they would get Giacciarini. I mean, what, the, way, the way it works, and can you describe it to us, to us in depth? I don't know if it came out on the press conferences, but basically what happens is he tells them the player he, what type of players he wants. Angelo only goes and finds some various types of players, brings it back. Dicanio decides, and then they decide whether to go forward or not. I think he said he wanted a winger. Mm-hmm. They've been looking at Mavrias, and then I think they said, look, we can get this Giacciarini. I don't think Dicanio could believe his luck. He thought, wow, you know, but he cost a lot of money. He cost 6.8 million. They were expecting to spend 2 million on a, on a winger, and they ended up spending 6.8 million, and I think that took some of the money away from the potential Huddleston deal. But he wanted Giacciarini, so he got him, and then Huddleston didn't come. Bit of a catch-22, Richard, that, isn't it? Because, I mean, for all the, you know, the quality Giacciarini's got, speaking from a personal perspective, I would have rather had a top centre midfielder in. And you can't pluck these kind of players out of the air, can you? So if, if Graham's saying we haven't got great amounts of money for one, it's, it's, is it worrying, or do you think they've got something in place? I think I think Ellis Short's probably looking at the, 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 the way the squad's set up in that, in that they do have quite a lot of midfielders at the moment. And I don't think it's unreasonable for him to say, look, move out a couple of midfielders and then, then, you, then you can spend money. But it, it, it's an odd situation with, with Di Canio not, not kind of saying, I want this player. He has to say, I want this type of player. And it goes through another two, three people before it comes back to him. So it's, it is a bit of an odd situation. And, and I suppose way. that's why he's been trying to... He's, he's, he's been making, well, not so subtle points, hasn't he? I know when he was, yeah. he was talking to the lads at the Echo and he, he started putting people in preference of what position he wanted. Yeah. And that was him, you know, making a clear indication of the ball that he wanted to centre midfielder first. So the, this just seems to be dragging on. He doesn't seem happy about it. But do you think there's somebody lined up or not? Your gut instinct, would you say? I think that's, I, I, that was what he was trying to explain when he was going through that. I don't know if anyone... I, I, we hear it in the press conference and then we put it in the paper, so it, it often doesn't come across as well in the paper as it does when you actually hear it. What he was trying to say was, it's a movable feast. He said, literally, um, I'm hearing from one week to the next who I can get. If I can get, if, I, if they tell me I can get one player, it'll be a centre midfielder. If I can get two players, centre midfielder. You went through this whole list of how it works out. So it's basically, it changes week by week. Now, Mavrius has arrived now, so that'll change the dynamics again. So he was basically trying to say, I don't know who I'm going to get from week to week. Right. It's, it's, it's very un- it's, uh, yeah. I was going to say it's very unusual in the English game. Yeah. That I mean, you can't imagine, um, as I said in the paper, you can't imagine sort of Brendan Rodgers and David Moyes who said this player's not going, and Di Canio was saying Sessegnon's not going. Uh, what know, if uh, he does? We'll get this. Player. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's a very continental way of doing. Uh, has anybody that's got just the way in it? It's just the the managers abroad just deal with the team. That's it. Everything else is just left to uh, the football director, sort of thing. I think what Di Canio said last week was. In, in Italy, he, he just has to coach the players. And if, it's, if it doesn't go right and the players aren't, aren't the ones that he wanted, it's his fault and he gets a, gets a sack and he doesn't want that coming in here. But that looks, looks to me like the situation he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was interesting, that, because uh, he, he enlarged that point with us. And what he was basically... He didn't seem a big fan of directors of football. What he was, no, basically, no. What he was basically saying was, directors of football have the final say but they never get sacked, managers get sacked, and he said that was half the problem in, this, in, in that setup, which is that basically directors of football are away, uh, above the power sharing thing, but they don't get sacked, whereas managers yeah. take the consequences. 
Does so anybody got a, yeah, a strong there opinion? Was, there was a lot over there, please stand up, Kerfa. I'm coming. I'll come over, mate. It's all right. <laughs> we we'll want to get your voice yeah, on the on the podcast, so I'll like come over. Norton like coming over now. So what's your name, mate? <laughs> Paul Thompson. Okay, what, what do you think? <laughs> so you're trying to tell me there that the likes of Cabral and that Jacarini that's come in had nothing to do with Decanio or he's the men that's around him? No, not at all. What I'm trying to say is that um, Decanio doesn't say, I want Cabral or I want Jacarini. What happens is Decanio specifies the type of player he wants and then Angeloni goes and looks for the player and brings it back to him. Now, what happened with, uh, what I was speculating on Jacarini there was He'd asked for a, a talented winger. Angeloni's done his homework and come back and said, we'll get th these three or four players. De Canio's looked at it and thought, well, we can get Giacciarini, and they've gone for him. And that might have skewed the budget a little bit further down the line. But the way De, De Canio explained it to me was, I do my homework. I don't just sort of say, <laughs> I mean, he made a joke about it saying, I don't sort of go off YouTube clips because anyone can look fantastic on that. But the point is, he describes the type of player he wants, and that's when it, when it comes to this English central midfielder he's talking about, that is specifically the description he's given. And it's up to Angelo to find that player for him. Uh, and as far as Cabral and Giacciarini are concerned, Di Canio has the absolute final say on whoever's signed. That's definitely his decision. Whether he actually says, I've heard of this guy or I've heard of that guy, I'm not quite sure. But basically, he describes what he wants, and the scouting team go out and bring him back a list of players. Now, if they bring him back a list of players, and none of those players are acceptable to him, he'll say, right, well, none of those are acceptable to me, find me somebody else. And I think that explains the comments he was making where he was saying at the weekend, when he was talking at the centre midfielder, no, I don't want a 19-year-old kid. No, I don't want uh, to play three in the middle. This, the, you have to read between the lines. The, the implication was that they'd probably come back to him and say, we've got a creative playmaker who could work as part of a three. And he said, no, I'm playing 4-2-4. It has to be this type of player. That's why the words coming out of Decanio's mouth in recent days have sounded increasingly adamant because he hasn't got what he wanted. So in answer to your question, he chooses who comes in. All these players who have come in have finally have, have been his choice, but it's Angeloni who sources the players and he makes, he makes so a choice So he's like giving the list. thumbs up or the thumbs down, basically, yeah. yeah. That answer your question. So he's got a complete... He's, he's got, giving the thumbs up or the thumbs down. He's, he's got complete say. No... No, no, I, I, I hope I didn't express myself uh, unclearly. He has the final say on who comes in the club. But, and he might just even say, well, we'll write this guy, we'll write this guy, sort of stuff. But what happens is he describes what he wants in a certain position. And Angelo only goes out and gets that type of player and says, him, 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 and him. Yeah, so it, absolutely, no, no player is foisted on Decanio. He chooses, but. It's Angeloni who goes out and sources the player he it's wants. It was basically just a tactic of, of, of taking the, the, the workload away from the manager, so a manager's not spending all summer uh, on the phone to agents and saying, I'm trying to get this player, trying to get it. They go do that for him, um, and then he gives a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. Can I just say, Decanio says he's a fan of this system, and the reason why, well, whether he is or not, I don't know entirely sure, but what he says is what one of the benefits of this system is he doesn't have to spend the summer travelling around Europe looking for players. He can just concentrate purely on pre-season and getting the players ready. And he says he's appreciated that, spending a lot of time with the players. But perhaps we've seen a couple of occasions here where it breaks down a little bit, where he desperately wants someone who's been banging on for all summer, creative midfielder, and they can't quite find the player he wants. Right. Another question. Yes, I have a question for Grim. Um, 
you made quite a strong comment earlier on about uh, Huddleston being out of budget. Have we any idea what the budget actually is? I think that they're hamstrung by these financial fair, fair play regulations where what the, the, I think the exact uh, figure is you can't spend more than £4 million over the, transfer, over the wage budget you had from the previous years. So it's not that they're short of cash. Ellis uh, Shaw's got plenty of cash. It's not a problem of that side of things. It's more a question of they've got to get the finances right. Into, and I think this is where maybe they've missed a trick a little bit in the sense that they really should have tried to get more players out before now than they've successfully got out. Is there some of this as well, Graham? though, that uh, I know Gareth was um, talking about this on the podcast, that not necessarily could they not afford £6 million for Huddleston, but they looked at the risk factors involved and maybe thought they didn't want to spend £6 million on somebody who had a bad injury record, that kind of thing. Maybe so they, they might go and spend £6 million on somebody else who they think who they perceive to be a better, better signer. Maybe they did. There's an element of that with Prutzi. They, just, I mean, they were adamant they weren't going to take any risks on Prutzi, so they're being very careful with the cash. But I think it's more a case of they had a certain amount of money they can spend. They've got, a certain amount of, they've got to comply with financial fair play regulations in terms of what the wages are compared to what they were last year. And as I say, I think they've missed a trick in the sense that Someone like Phil Barsley seems to have been cast into outer darkness and Lee Catamull the same way. So I think it might have been smarter to try and get them as fully fit as you possibly could, get them involved, get them sort of maybe impressed so you get them sold and get them off the wage bill if that's what they want. Uh, because if you, if you could have got Barsley's wages off the bill and you could have Catamull's out and the other players they want to sell by now, you probably wouldn't be contemplating selling Sessegnon and you might even have got Huddleston. Yep, another question now, yeah. Uh, sorry, you were talking earlier about uh, De Canio and uh, Angeloni. Could you define more where Defanti fits into this? Good, good, que good question. Uh, I'd like to tell you a bit more off the record, but uh, we're going on a podcast. Does he not scout the younger players? No, not at all. Um, basically, I think the way the set of works is that um, Roberto Defanti is kind of Ellis Short's man in the middle of all this. I think. I don't know what De Canio would say if he was talking privately, but he might say, he might say that uh, Angeloni's the football man, you know, uh, and he's a, De Canio's the football man, and they work together to source the players and try and work together, and Defandi is more of a link to Ellis Short in terms of the money and what can be afforded, that sort of stuff. But I don't think Defandi has that much involvement in terms of selecting the players at all. He's more a case of overseeing how deals go. As a former agent, he's more about seeing if the deal's right. He's a go-to guy. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to do that. <laughs> One more. Yeah, I just wanted to focus on this um, arrangement, the director of football, etc., etc., and its longevity, really, because um, Defanti himself, when he was interviewed, he was talking about the sleeping giant, and we all know that Sunderland are a sleeping giant for decades and generations now. We're still waiting for the push up there. Is this, in your opinion, the, the system which is going to break us in there, irrespective of whether De Canio is the man to lead them on the field, if you like, even if he disappears and somebody else comes in, are we going to be still pursuing that system? And is it going to be successful in the long run? Um, I mean, I'll say what you guys think. I mean, I think the idea, the idea is that, you know, we've been... The Martin O'Neill kind of managers are spending big money on British players and isn't really working, is it? But that's the idea. I'll see what these lads think about it. Well, I think you can see the building. They're getting a lot of young lads in. So, obviously, 
looking further down the line. Um, but in the day, all that matters is what's on. If the first team's doing well, the whole club, the whole everything just follows suit. You know, there's no right or wrong way to go about running a football club as such. If you've got the right players in, the right manager, you do well, and everything else tends your to follow. Family, but it looks family. like it looks like they're building something, and they've got a, an actual clear picture where they want to go. Where as you see with Steve Bruce, Martin O'Neill, it always seemed a bit more short term. At least now it looks like they've got a picture five years, ten years down the line where they want to be. You're a big fan of the system, Richard, aren't you? Um, or in, or fan, maybe not the system, but in, in the way Sunderland are doing it. I'm a fan of a system. I think having a, a long-term strategy is, is better than having a kind of an ad hoc basis. I mean, bringing in 11 players every season isn't isn't going to be healthy. It's not going to, you know, no no club would survive really. And, you know, changing the, the massive amounts of personnel that they change each season, I think. So I, th I think they need to build something for the future and build an identity that if Di decided to to go somewhere else or he got sacked that that identity would still be there with a new coach for another coach you know five years down the line so that it's not just revolution after revolution after revolution which is which is basically what they've had for the last say, six years that's definitely the idea behind it isn't it so you can just seamlessly replace and even the director of football if you had the same coach there they were going together so you can take one out put the other one in there's a system in place so the new manager isn't coming in and having to shake everything up again and start from you know start from scratch it just depends what works. I mean, I think um, you've got a situation where a short way, he's very frustrated by it. He's come in at first and he thought, well, I'm a Yank who knows nothing, so I'll leave it to the experts and it'll work out. And all he's done is supplied all that money. And it didn't work out quite as... He didn't think he got, he didn't think he got value for money uh, under Roy Keane. And he didn't think he got value for money under Steve Bruce. And he didn't think he got value for money even under Martin O'Neill. That's what did for Martin O'Neill in the end, the January transfer window and the money spent. And I think he's just thought, right, well... I'm going to try something different. Rather than trusting the experts, and I've given them tens of millions of pounds, I've got no further forward, I'll try a different system. And uh, it's, um, I can't say a shit or bust. You said no swearing, but it's, I, 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 think, I think it's that sort of um, gamble or bust sort of thing that he's gone for. He thought, right, I'm going to do something radical here. I mean, Paolo Di Calio kind of was a radical appointment, but I think that was kind of his frustration. He'd listened to advice on every appointment for every manager previously. Di Canio was his appointment. He just thought, right, I'm going to do something radical and shake it up and try and get something different. Uh, he understands Di Canio's work, I think, as an American. And I think it, the idea of putting in a director of football and this whole scouting system he's put in is his way of having more control over what's happening. Rather than, rather than trusting some sort of guru of football like Keane or a Bruce or a, an O'Neill, and it, he didn't get the results he wanted, he thought, right, I'll put this system in place. Whether it works or not depends. But the, we the weird thing is, is that we were talking just before the start of the season, we were saying... He's had a strange sort of pre-season to Canio. And if he works and gets, if he gets three or four victories, everyone will say, that was the way to go. And if he gets three or four defeats, people will say, well, why didn't they have more pre-season games? So really, it's just what works and what doesn't. Talking about what works, back to the centre of midfielders we were talking about, just before we, we move on to other stuff, Martin, we're talking about the mid, um, centre midfielders, the lack of it or the lack of siren, that's what, and obviously that's evolved in the conversation we've just had. But just before we move on to uh, this, this left back position, is there a chance that we can, um, to can your, well, he might have to move players around if we can't sign this centre midfielder? Could you see anybody in that squad at the moment who, who could do it? Could Jack Arini move inside maybe? I know Gareth I had a stat about how many times 
Chakarini gave, gave the, ball the ball away a lot, basically. Yeah. I think statistically, I think it was something like 15 times he gave the ball away. On Saturday. But yeah. obviously, he's playing from, obviously he's playing from a wide position, yeah. but he did drop in and he played some unusual passes where he gave the ball away um, quite easily. I think um, second and half. And he probably he hasn't got the stature either. He, he looked tired, didn't he, second yeah, half, he did. which was surprising. Um, I don't see him as, a, as someone personally who can play in the midfield too, especially if you've got your two wide men pushing right on. He doesn't seem that sort of player. Um, if you look at the team, there's only Vaughan and Gardner. I would have thought it would go in there. Because I, I know Larson's been fancy, but we're going back to the conversation with you last year. I know when Tom Lynn came on the podcast last season and he was saying that I think he pretty much blamed the whole downfall of last season to putting Seb Larson in centre <laughs> midfield. It's something that hasn't really quite worked, has it? No. But, but managers it, I mean, seem to be sticking with it. Yeah, I think he likes his, his work ethic in there. I think there's one thing you say about him he does, he, he works, works his socks off. Um, whether he gives you enough going forward, which for Larson he is a forward-minded player. I don't think from the central positions he gives you enough. Um, but to be fair to him, he's played right back, he's played right wing, and he always has a go. So you kind of criticise him for not that for that. But in the squad, I don't think there's somebody who you really fancy to play alongside Cabral and and do a, a really good job. Mm-hmm. We've got in a member of the audience here. Christian and Edge, who's a journalist for ESPN, The Guardian, New York Times. And if you, <laughs> I'm sure people who are on Twitter will know Christian. And if you want to know anything about any obscure foreign sign and foreign player, Christian's a guy to ask. So I want to know, Christian, tell us, is there a centre midfielder out there who fits that? He's, he's just pulled, he's just pulled, I don't think, I don't think he's going to think of one. <laughs> he's going to say Lee Cadamore. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably Key Sung Young of Swansea. You've yeah, who's been mentioned today? Some Gareth, I've never heard about that today, but um, the guy from Swansea Key, yeah, that would be taking De Canio's man with the keys a bit literary, wouldn't it? It, w- it would indeed. <laughs> he's probably not as physical as Tom Huddleston. He's a bit more slight. Doesn't really put himself about as much. But passing, he's he's a very good technical player. And I think if you're looking, I don't think he's looking for someone to pass it just long. He wants them to know when to pass it. Um, I mean, Seb Larson can probably kick it 40, 50 yards. But it's all about the timing and when you can get the like speed of thought as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So while I've got you with the mic, Kristen, we're going to fire some more stuff <laughs> here. Um, talking about left backs, because I, I don't know if anybody knows how many specialist left backs Sunderland have signed in the last 15 years. George McCartney doesn't count because he was here originally, so he came back. Uh, I think I seen Michael Graham write on Twitter the other day. It was possibly Martin Scott. We seem to have had a problem with left backs. Um, Clive Clark. But we've been linked with Mbegwe, is that right? Mbegwe. Mbegwe. Um, can you tell us much about him, Chris? Very physical, uh, just over six foot, really fast and strong. Um, has these kind of moments of madness um, where you think, what on earth are you doing? Fell out of Toulouse's team last season, was replaced by a left winger at times, and to be honest, they didn't really suffer from it. Um, but if it's two and a half million euros, there's every chance he could work in the Premier League just because he's really fast, he's really strong. And, and he was linked with Arsenal last year. That was a, yeah, that was a while. And there was talk that maybe his agent had you know, pushed that name out there just to, right. to get him a pay rise. No, but I don't see it. That. <laughs> but he's got potential if he can switch on mentally, which I think maybe Decanio could probably get him to do. But this, is this the Segley thing? Is that dead or what's the situation with this? He's seemed to have flip-flopped between this because he was a bit more keen on the move to begin with and then all of a sudden his agent said, no, no, we're we're very happy at Juventus. We want to extend our contract, if anything. 
Um, he's really quite physical as well, quite athletic. Reminds me a lot of Gareth Bale in the way that he runs. But I should do. Say, Get him, just sign him up. <laughs> just in the way that he runs, not yeah, the rest of that's it. That's it. It's a little bit like <laughs> the dive at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it's that. I think he fits that Decanio mold of players that are very athletic and can really will not tire and be outfought by their opposition. Have you heard much about the Desedgley thing, Graham? Uh, only that there was nothing in it. Um, <laughs> it was one. Of, it was one of those that. Um, could talk for hours about the media and where things sort of come and, and go, but uh, that was always one which it, it kind of it landed and people kind of ran with it without any extra evidence on it. And it doesn't surprise us that now his agents coming out and saying, "No, there's absolutely nothing in it." Um, I, I, it's a bit risky, but I think that's a bit of a non-start. It's a bit of a, a smoke screen one. That mm-hmm. it's it's get the situation with me more, Martin. That I don't think I care about a left back as much because this centre midfielder thing is doing my head in. Like I don't know, if, <laughs> I don't know if it's just me because I've had nightmares about this since Steve Bruce was here. But Jack Colback does okay there, doesn't he? He does, but he's, he's not the answer. No, he's not. But no. we're not going to panic if the transfer window shuts and we haven't got a left back, or are we? No, Jack might, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think just going forward. He, he uh, if you look back to Michael and Martin Scott, they just offered you something going forward, which I think Jack. Just doesn't, and, and Daniel likes his fullbacks yeah, to get forward, as well, isn't especially if if we're going to play that wayward two sort of midfielders, and you want the fullbacks to push on. We need something a bit more coming from the left back area, but it's it's been ongoing, hasn't it? Last four, five, six years, and you just think one of the managers down the years would have nailed somebody to come in. Obviously, we had Danny last year mm. who come, um, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime It's soon, not going to happen because he yeah. played for Spurs last week, so he's. Looks like he's going to be back in the fall there, but you think somebody would go and find somebody and come and do that job. Mm-hmm. Huge run of games now coming up, if we can just start trying to get on the Southampton game. But um, I'm going to list, I've got the teams here, I'm sure everybody's aware of our home fixtures coming up. But Fulham was the one we were looking at to get the win. Next we have Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, Newcastle, Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham. That's our next home games. Brilliant. <laughs> Confident? I was at 21 points there, no problem. <laughs> no, but it's all, in the Premier League, especially, and you look at the results we've had at home down the last few years, you kind of say we're going to get nothing there, three points here. We is likely to go out and beat Arsenal and Liverpool as we are as Fulham, and they're going to come with more of an attacking mentality so we can have a bit of a go. I was just about to say, Fulham came, put players behind the ball, they came from nil-nil and got a one-nil win basically on Saturday. That's what it seemed like. Um, these sides are not going to come and, and challenge us to break them down, are they? So they're going to leave no, gaps. No. They're going to leave gaps. Plus, you get the fans who they're not expecting to go there and see three points. So anything, any sort of positives, you get behind the team, and, and it really helps. Whereas like a move breaks, a move breaks down, the fans aren't going to get in the back. The more no. like to, to give it like the, the much. score from the angle, like yeah. oh, unlucky, well done. Yeah. It's it's one of them, and as I say, you can we could quite easily turn turn a couple of them teams over. Um, so, but on the other hand, you've got all the the lower teams at the end of the season, and if you're all struggling, <laughs> it's they're all turning to six pointers. So you need to you need to win a few of these home games without a doubt. Talking about teams coming at us, Richard, the, these better teams coming at us, they're going to come. They're not going to sit behind the ball. If we're going to assume that that will that will suit the Canio style of play more and that we might be more fruitful. Does that mean we're going to travel well this season as well, away from home? Because sides aren't going to, you know, play for a draw when we go on there. They're going to expect to beat us, so they're going to come at us. 
Are we going to travel well this season? Well, I think I think what Decanio said uh, today to us is that you know when they go away from home, is they're not going to play exactly the same way as they play at, at, at home. It's not going to, and Sunderland are going to play exactly the same way as they play each week. I mean, they're they're going to be adaptable as well. So there might be weeks where they'll go a little bit more cautious and maybe pack the midfield and take the time over things. But I think I think he's 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 saying that you know this this style that they've they've been implemented isn't a, isn't a, a fixed thing. It's going to be quite adaptable. So you know the scouts that watch Sunderland in the coming weeks aren't going to know what's going to happen in a game. I think they're going to be a lot more uh, adaptable and kind of dynamic than. You than certainly that. get the impression though that he he likes his wingers. I mean he's signed Reverse again today, so he's got he's got cover for the wing position. So you're saying he's going to change change his style away from home, but you certainly think he. Because he wants cover for this posi- these positions, they're going to be significant in this season, aren't they? They're going to have a big part to play, you would have thought. Yeah, well, he said he's got five wingers now, he says, so maybe throw them all on at the same time, see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> but Seb Larson might end up back there, I'm not sure about that. But um, I want to actually, I want to get Kristen back on, Garth, I want to talk about Mavrias. Is that right, Mavrias? I'm terrible with it. Alan Brazil's got nothing on me with these pronunciations, I'm telling you. But um, isn't it right that you translate his name to Billy Black, is that right? Harry Black. Harry Black. Harry Black. You can just see that if he if he play, if he's not very good, that that's going to be used as a derogatory term, isn't it? Oh God, he's putting Harry Black on now. You can just say. I just know, especially the blokes sitting behind me. I know they're like. Tell us, tell us a bit more about him, Kristen. Um, he's the most prominent Greek footballer. Is that on? Two sentences. Yeah. Turn on. <laughs> <laughs> It, well, he's the most exciting Greek talent at the minute, um, but it, his personality kind of veers away from the usual Greek footballer. He's very humble and very modest. Um, the other way tends to go a bit more flashy, and that's not him. And it, it transfers onto the pitch because he works incredibly hard, um, and he can actually play right back as well. Would you believe? Right. A very attacking. Probably a right left back, back can he? No, <laughs> unfortunately, he could try it, but he, he hasn't tried. Can it he yet. can he play on both wings, or is it just right? Yeah, he can play right or left, but he prefers right because he's he's predominantly right footed, and he he can play in the centre too. But he's a little bit lacking in confidence to play there. I think. Can you see him featuring much, or is he very much one for the future? He is only a teenager, um, so you would think probably along the lines of Moberg Carlson, he'll be one that's being looked at with the future in mind, but. I would honestly throw him in now. I think he's got the pace and the directness and a decent enough cross to give you something that Giaccarini probably didn't give on Saturday. I, again, it was his first game and I appreciate that he needs to, to bet in, but I just think Mavrius has got a lot of pace and that'll really help decide the way he wants to, to play. That sounds all right. doesn't sound much like Sam Aston Martin, does it? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pace, open the gates. <laughs> <laughs> or, da- or David Bellion was a bit like that, wasn't he? He would run, he would run and chase. If the north stand wasn't there, to keep on. Exactly. It'd, it'd carried on the north me. side. Yeah, <laughs> but um, again, talking about sides who are going to come at us and leave a few gaps. Southampton are a side that like like the press. Um, we, as people who listen to podcasts know, we normally get a uh, an opposition fan of the next game on the phone. Um, ben Stanfield's our go-to guy for Southampton. He writes for team talk, the team talk blogs for Southampton and stuff. And I'm a bit disappointed he didn't make the journey up night for this, but. Um, <laughs> I spoke to him anyway through email just to get a bit of a gist of how Southampton are. And he, he's saying that they're very much high pressing game, four three three. What's what's interested me the most about what Ben said was that he thinks their their downfall, if anything, on Saturday could be complacency 
Are we really in that situation where, where Southampton are getting too complacent and think, I mean, the way he's speaking, you know, they're writing this game off easy, three points. I think that's a fan who's just been a tad negative, really. I think their first home game, I, I can't see any, any way they're going to be uh, complacent. I think it's going to be a very tough game. Um, the new money's gone in there and he's, he's brought, they've actually spent quite a bit of money. They've got some good players, so it's by no means is it going to be easy down there. Mm-hmm. I think um, a, lot of their, a lot of their creativity and, and attack and threat comes from their left back, Luke Shaw, the same way um, Dekanio wants his full backs to get forward. But is that going to be a problem down our right side? Adam Johnson, not the best tracker back. We've still got Saluskaru, he's only played one game. A lot of their intent is going to come from the left-hand side. I think so, yeah. He's, uh, he is a, he's a good player. He's exactly what we're looking for. Um, but I think you got to... I, I think Adam Johnson, you've got to give him credit. I think since Dekanya come in, he's, his work ethic has changed a hell of a lot. I think... Um, and he's, he's bought into what Dekanya is doing. Um, but I, th- I think if you, you look at them, they've got Lalana, obviously Lambert. They've just spent a few quid on a centre-forward who, whose name escapes us. That's the fella. <laughs> You're not bad, you, are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is, it's, it's going to be tough. I don't think it'll just be the full-backs. I think there'll be a threat from all over the park. Mm-hmm. has always led us to believe, Richard, that he has plan Bs, plan Cs, and that he focuses his game around the opposition. Um, speaking of Ben earlier, he said, more or less, everything Southampton do goes down the wings, right and left. Not a lot goes through the middle. Is that something the Canio would look at? If we, don't, we haven't really got that presence in the middle to make that count, have we, or have we? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's going to be an open game on Saturday, because I know both teams like to attack, so it could be an open game, but I mean, the, the new signings that have come in for, for Southampton, Wanyama has got good pedigree, they're in the Champions League, did very well for Celtic. Lovren did well in the in, in League One, and, and I'm not, not sure how well he did last season. I heard he was he didn't have the best season, but you know, the fact they've spent thirty six million pounds that, mm. that's that's a sho- it's a shocking statistic to say, mm. you know, for a, a team that's spending a second year in the Premier League, three spent players. three players, players yeah. thirty six million pounds. That's that's just it. That's just when Pochettino came in last year, Graham, uh, the back end of last season. Similar to the Canio on the way, he changed the way they played high pressing game, high intensity game. That's what the Canio's done. But now he, they had the last quarter of a season, plus they had a pre-season to build on it. So they've just added a few players to add to that. So the wheels are really in motion for Southampton now, aren't they? You feel like they're a side with some momentum behind them. I do. I was just um, researching them the last couple of days. I haven't really paid attention to them, but I thought, wow, it was just a useful side. And I think the benefit from the fact that... Uh, the new manager inherited a decent side that wasn't, you know, that had a very promising emerging side. There was anyway. no revolution needed there. Exactly. So there was no need to sort of get rid of loads of players or sort of try and radically change things. So he's got, he's got a decent side. He's got some young, really promising young talents emerging. And he's, in, he's brought three or four new players in. So I think they're going to have a decent season. I think, though, that it's easy to look from the outside and think, oh, they're going to have a great season. Everyone's saying that because that's how it looks. But it doesn't often, work. sometimes it doesn't work that way. Look at Especially in the Premier League. Yeah. Well, look at Sunderland Fulham at the weekend. We all thought Sunderland, like, sort of, we're going to, you know, we, everyone felt after what Dick had said and everyone was up for it and the new signings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, everyone thought that Sunderland would at least draw, but everyone was quite confident they would win, you know, and it doesn't work out that way sometimes. Martin, we're talking about negative momentums, uh, like a, moment, a negative momentum. How, as a former player, Sun and go, say Sun and go, get beat Saturday comfortably. 
Did the players start looking at each other in the dressing room as the Kanye was having a rant and saying we're not sure about this? Uh, oh, it's two, it's two games. I think it's, it's too, too early. early, especially when you've got a new team together. And as I said, especially the first game, everybody everybody did a job and played well. So I don't think there'll be any sort of doom and gloom. And they'll know for a fact they're going to Southampton for a tough game. It's not going to be easy. So even if, if the worst happens and we, we get, we're on the wrong end of a hammering, I don't think there'll be any sort of, there'll not be too much negativity around the place at the minute, you know, but as you see. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You, you want that first win as soon as possible just to sort of say, right, this team can win football matches, you know. Um, but Just a spark it of might belief be, back in everybody. Yeah, again. plus if you get beat Saturday, it might just get the chairman thinking, well, yeah, I'm going to throw a few more quid. We'll go and get somebody. You know, it's, it's, it can work. It can work the other way. So tell him I get beaten. He'll go and sign a centre midfielder. Then um, the Crystal Palace game doesn't become a must-win game, Richard. Does it? Am I being over dramatic there? I'm just thinking. You know, I think how many how many sides will lose the first three games? Do I well. It's it's a tough one because if you lose your three first three games of the season, if if the 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 idea is about. The Canio's kind of disciplinarian style, you know, banning mayonnaise, banning Coca-Cola, things like that. You know, you're not allowed your phone turned on. You all got to eat together. I don't know how long they can continue to lose before the players start to kind of get the backs up a bit and say, "Well, it's not actually working. So why are we why are we doing this?" That's what I was saying, Amon, about them looking at each other in the dressing room. You, you don't know what the cut-off yeah, point is, do you? Yeah, I know what you. But I think it will take a few more. It'll not be sort of Saturday. It'll be maybe five or six games in if we're. No points or one point, I think, then maybe they might start looking around and thinking, does, this does, is not working. Does popular opinion and what the media say affect you, Martin? The likes of Graham, if they're writing negative stuff about you? Not Graham. <laughs> 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 no, but you, you tend to, if you, as, a, as a player, you know if you've played well, you know if you've played bad. As a team, so you don't if, really if everybody, if the national press are hounding, sort of criticising someone, saying that I wouldn't good. have thought they'd take any notes of it. Really? It's the fans, when you come out on a Saturday afternoon, the only thing I'm is if the fans are behind you, Things are a lot rosier. You don't give a damn, to be honest. Like what the press say is such, you know, it's the people who come watch you. They, they have the impact on the team as much as anybody. Well, I think it's come to a sad pass when they don't. <laughs> Gary Rowley used to say, if you got a four, you never went out for a week. You know what I mean? So the match marks are bad. But I think you're right. I think, uh, I think they don't take that much, pay that much attention. But I do think that um, people underestimate, might, might underestimate how charismatic a person Paolo Di Canio can be I know he, he sounds sometimes he comes across as a bit of a madman and a mentalist um, but he's very shrewd he's very smart he's very intelligent and he's very switched on and he's trying to bind these people together these players together and he's already got his 
you want to say excuses, but he's already got his kind of uh, explanations in place. When he took over at Swindon, he was telling us this week, uh, the year that got promoted, he lost seven of the first 13 games um, because he was trying to get things drilled into the players. And he said, we lost the seven of the, of the first 13 games, but we won promotion. We went, he said, eventually it clicked and it went that way. So Premier League's a bit more, like, less forgiven in that area, though. Well, I, 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 just, I, just, I, just, I just think he was basically trying to say that he's completely convinced he's on the right lines and that he's not going to be dissuaded. It, I mean, he said today, hasn't been in the papers yet, but he was saying, look, in the Premier League, you can lose one, two, three, four, five games. It's not going to change his opinion. He's completely convinced that things will go right. And I think when you have a manager, I mean, you have that really, when you have a manager who's completely convinced about something, that sort of self-belief transmits itself to the players. So I don't think losing against Southampton, even sort of if they don't win against Crystal Palace, that everything will go belly up. Right. We're going to have a little break now. So before we do that, um, I'm going to get a prediction, actually, from everybody for Saturday. But just to say, I haven't noticed people writing on the thing. I know, you, I know we've been that good, you've been enthralled. But if you, can, if you have a little break, we'll have a break for 20 minutes. So if you get a pint or something, just try and write some questions down because the second half is going to be around that. But I'll get a prediction for Saturday of Martin because he's got the mic. I'll go 2-2. Two, two. I think it'll be score and draw. Graham? I'll go for score and draw as well. End of the mic, Graham, I think. I'll go for a score and draw as well. I was going to say a score and draw as well. I'm not sitting on the fence. That's just what I think. I'm, I'm going to nail me colours to the... Not, not me colours. I'm going <laughs> to say it's going to be a home win, I think. Right. So you're nailing yourself, you're nailing yourself Hampton colours to yeah. the mask. <laughs> right. They're still red and white, kind of. Not this year, are they? Right. We're going to have a little break, so we'll save everybody back about 20 minutes or so. That's great. Don't forget to take a little piece of paper and the pens. Write some questions down. Right, Wiseman say podcast. This is the part where we've we've took your questions in. We will try and get through them all. Um, we have about half an hour or so. So Gareth will come and see you, and you can ask a question direct. A bit like they do on Question Time, but more exciting. So we've got Rory. So you can read your question. If you can read your own right. Okay. The question is, um, Stefan Sessegnon, for every fantastic game he has, there's four or five where he frustrates us, and for every fantastic performance he pulls out, there's three or four where we seem like we're building a team around him. So the question is, uh, first of all, would you keep him this season, and if so, where would you play him in the team that Decano was trying to build up? Martin? Um, personally, I think, yeah, exactly right. I think especially over the last season, he, he just seemed to come to form at the end of the season when it was the chance he might get a move whether that's just um, me just being cynical but that's what's seen happen but I, I thought on Saturday he had a lot of the ball and Altidore doesn't really suit him he doesn't make the runs where he's trying to thread him um, and I just think if you've got Jacarini, Johnson and Sessegnon I think as a three you could have a, a really fluid front three there just behind Altidore or Fletcher um, but whether De Canio sees him as a, a luxury, I don't know. Um, but on his best form, I think you'd be stupid to sell him. But if you're only going to get three or ten out, three good games out of ten out of him, I think if you can get ten to fifteen million for him, I think they'd take the money. That's the thing, uh, Richard, because with Sessegnon, probably his best spell while he was at Sunderland was when Martin O'Neill pretty much afforded him a free roll. He didn't really have any have to fit in the system in any way. Decanio is quite regimental in the way he plays, so 
Is he becoming more of an enigma now? I think I think he could work in a team that, as as Martin says, has a fluid front three. I mean, Jacarini, Johnson, and Sessegnon could all kind of interchange during a game, and and that's you know it's difficult for opposition fullbacks to and centre halves to defend against as well. And you see, you know, you see the likes of Chelsea and and the likes of Manchester United all all having kind of interchangeable front midfield players who can who can move around. I think Sessegnon can do that. I don't think you have to build a system around him. I think he can slot into the system that they're already playing with. It's it's just just a case of of taking time. Do you think his age comes into a grim? He's he's not getting any younger. Was he 29 now? How, how is this the last opportunity to get really big money for him, perhaps? Um, maybe, maybe. I mean, sort of. He was the player I was most disappointed with on Saturday. Um, I mean, obviously, Roberge failing to jump for that uh, centre was major. But I just thought Sessegnon would have been better last season. He came back clearly unfit. Uh, well, Martin O'Neill had given him a longer time with the internationals. He was clearly unfit. He wasn't interested because I think uh, he could have had a move at the time and he was unsettled. Um, it took him a while to get into the, the whole season and he really kind of only came into his own in the final third. And like Martin said, cynically, maybe it was because sort of he was putting himself in the shop window. I don't think so this season. I think that um, De Canio likes him, rates him, would like to keep him. I think Sessegnon, from every account, is happy and sort of it, actually he's bought into the whole. Paolo Di Canio system. So I was hoping that uh, fully fit, as fit as you can be after Di Canio has had yet, I was really expecting to, him to be impressed. And that was what disappointed me. And maybe, it's, maybe it is one of those sort of things either he has the magic in him or he doesn't, he can't discipline, he can't make it happen. And if that's the case, then uh, you wonder what his long term future you is. You just think with Fletcher coming back as well, if Di Canio fancies him as Fle a front two. Fletcher and Altidori is his first choice. Yeah, so do you think when, where does Sessignon really fit in then? Because he doesn't work as a winger, does he? Yeah, but, but the thing about Sessegnon is in that situation he could be either a, an ideal substitute or an ideal person if it, mm. to, to change it around. Di Canio likes, to, he wants, he likes the idea of having five strikers and one young striker. That's what he wants. So in that mix, you'd want, when you look at, say, G and Conor Wickham, who haven't really done it for something yet, you'd slightly keep Sessegnon if you could do. All right, Gareth? Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the next question? Yeah. yeah. Or, or pushing through? Right, okay. I wasn't asking your opinion yet. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I've got the mic now. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Um, you said De Canio earlier on was a plan B, C and D man. Um, why do you think he looked like a man defeated when Fulham scored? Because obviously he didn't look like a man who had a plan B, C and D. It's a two-parted question. That's the first part. Um, well... That, I mean, that's, that's a good point. That, that's the, the reason I brought that up was because I was saying he looks like a plan BC man. If he doesn't find the centre midfielder, will he have to revert to one of them? Because from by all accounts, the way he's been talking in the summer is he seems to be set in a certain way. And that was why I was asking the lads what they thought about the plan BC. Because last season he implied that he was that kind of manager. He would come out and say, if this doesn't work, we need to do this. If this doesn't work, we need to do that. So that... Pretty much like yourself, I was curious to what the lads thought about, you know, does he need to bring this into play? Because he does seem set, doesn't he, on, on playing in a certain way. And like I say, look, if he looked defeated when we considered a goal, that would just, you know, that would just, that would solidify that. I think he made sort of positive substitutions with putting G on and Connor Wickham on and putting three up front, but it didn't seem to work. Um, so I think that was his plan B, just to throw more men forward, but it, on the day didn't work, you know, they just sat in and we couldn't get behind them. It's funny because I was talking to Craig Clark about this and uh, he was saying like, chucking loads of strikers on the pitch just never works. Doesn't. Like, just doesn't. Just but 
personally, I would have brought Carlson on um, and played him wide right. And he done, that, he done that a lot pre-season, yeah. so it's a bit put of a surprise Johnson, he didn't do that. Johnson off the front and then taking Sessegnon off. That's what I would have done, but, you know, I'm not De Canio. So. <laughs> Next one? Yep. Chris? It's a hot topic, uh, Sebastian Larson. Uh, yeah, it was just with the potential arrival of a creative midfielder, what's the future for Seb Larson? Personally, I think he'd be a big part of De Canio's plans. I think he likes him. Whether it's he's, he can play on the right, full-back, or he'd be covering centre midfield. So just I, as, I don't just think as cover change. then? Just as util that utility man? Yeah, I think he's, he's one of them players. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but he's somebody I think you, you'd have in your squad. You know, he'd come in, he'd do a job, he'd give everything for the team. He's one of them, he always wants the ball. He'll, uh, he'll chase, he'll harry. So I think he's somebody De Canio probably his likes it's somebody and then he'd be one of them that has really bought into the way he's trying to to change the club and the philosophy of the club is the financial aspect not a cons concern though because he's on fairly healthy wages and for a, a backup player that's not ideal I, is it i don't think he's on massive wages because when he was at birmingham was on huge wages so i don't think he'd be one of the, the one he, of the top earners mm, part the only thing that is he came on a free transfer and they tend to get good deals don't they because the two offers them the best the best deal isn't it but I've never really been able to work like Larson is a right winger, you know, he isn't fast enough, Graham, for De Canio, is he? So De you, you can only see his future really as Martin says cover, really. De Canio likes him. De Canio, we were talking about him this week and he likes him. Uh, he doesn't necessarily think he's going to be a right winger in his style of play because he wants his right wingers to be, he wants his wingers to be fast, pacey, attacking all the time and that's not really Larson's style. Larson tends to like a crab like get forward and forward and forward. So he doesn't really see him as, a, as a, an attacker unless he has, as a winger, unless he has, absolutely has to make him a winger. If he likes him as a centre midfielder, he thinks he works very hard. And uh, it's, 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 it's the same thing, it's the Thirlwell thing, it's the callback thing. It's the fact that managers look at the game differently the way the fans do. The fans watch the ball all the time and watch the action. And managers always look at shapes and patterns. And they see the Thirlwells and the callbacks and the Larsons dropping back to where, you know, keeping the shape and dropping back to places to cover in case moves break down. And he was praising Larson for the fact that all the way through the game, when everyone was dashing forward and doing things, Larson was the guy who was being the covering guy, the person no one notices. You know, and it goes back to Bobby Kerr telling me once that Bob Stoke will give him a job to do. And he would do it, and he, if he came off the pitch, he'd get hugged off Bob Stoke or saying, right, we, you, you, I asked you to mark their main man, and you mark the game, he never got a touch. And Bob would joke, sort of saying that people the papers on the Monday, and people would say, Bob Kerr didn't out. You know, so, so Bob Stoke was hailing him as the guy who won them the game, but fans would say, well, what did he do? He didn't make any passes, he didn't score goals, that sort of stuff. De Canio sees Larson as that sort of player, someone who does all the hard work. And Tom Lynn's dying to get, get involved in this conversation. Seb Larson's so biggest fan, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Larson is, you know, he's a great professional and he does work hard, but the problem is he isn't a centre midfielder, just like Jack Colback isn't a left back. And I think in this sort of like revolutionary new era, we've just got to get players playing in the proper positions. We can't, you know, Larson, as I say, he, he does his best all the time, but he's, he's not athletic enough to play in that position. You know, it's, I think central midfield is one of the hardest positions on the field to play. You've got to have like great awareness. He need to be um, athletic, and he's just, you know, he does his best, has the odd good game, but not week in, week out. I'm inclined to agree with you, Tom, anyway, because I, 
especially when you think Cabral is supposed to be the defensive midfielder, Larson's meant to give that attack an intent. So what Graham was saying there about stuff off the ball and that, that's not bringing enough to the table, in my opinion. But there's another question, I think. I don't know if it's elaborating on that point, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I just think um, with Callback and Larson, they can cover two or three positions easily. So I do think that it's just as much cover. Like You would have Larson in the middle or right if something really bad happens with the squad and you get quite a few injuries. And I think that's one of the reasons he's keeping those players about. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I agree totally. I think, everyone, I think everyone's on board with that. Whether Seb's happy about that's another matter. I don't know. No, but these days, especially, you've got to have, you've got to have players in your squad who, who are willing just to sit there and play eight, ten games a season. I think if Larson came in and did that, he's an adequate replacement, but you wouldn't want him starting 36, 38 games a season. You know? You've got to have players who are willing just to sit there, do the, do the best for the squad, not kick up a fuss when they're not playing, and just get on with it when they do get the nod. Yep, another question. Is it Paul Thompson? Um, <laughs> it's just about the, the rumours that's going around in the in the papers about the training ground training ground bust up. Um, the question is: Is there any truth behind the Fletcher training ground bust up, with the coaches over laughing and smiling? Richard, know anything about that? I wouldn't believe anything you read in the papers. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as far, as far as what Decanio was saying today, it didn't seem to be any suggestions of a, of a bust-up. If anything, he seems to be more than happy with, with Fletcher's development in terms of recovering from an injury. So, I mean, if there was something in it, I'm sure I'm sure we'd know about it. But I, I don't think there's anything in it. Yeah. Graham, you heard anything? It does. I think there is a little bit in it. <laughs> uh, but but not in the kind of uh, way that it's been portrayed. Over dramatic. Well, exactly, exactly. You know, Martin Martin used to get bollocks for smiling, didn't you? Sort of stuff. In time. It, basically, Decanio's idea is that training is very very serious. It's not a laughing matter. I don't think that uh, Stephen Fletcher's been bombed out or is in danger of leaving that sort of stuff. But he does have certain rules, Decanio, about how, and and it does seem a bit odd to people. And it's been lampooned a little bit about ketchup and mayonnaise and stuff like that. And but he, he has these uh, these uh, kind of rules, which might I think you've already seen the evidence. You know, Titus Bramble was kicking off about half a dozen of them sort of stuff in in the, in, the, in the papers. And it wouldn't surprise me if there's been a situation where Fletcher's been laughing and they've sort of said like, I'm saying, you know, concentrate on your training. He said, I'm not going to laugh. And they've said like, well, concentrate on your training. And it's been portrayed as a bust up. Um, Di Canio, I didn't ask him about it directly on uh, midweek, but um, we were talking about rules and regulations and we were talking about training ground bust ups. And his argument is, happens all the time. In every, in every club, training ground bust ups all the time. It's only the ones that get out and get exaggerated at the problem. So maybe there's something in it. I think there probably was, but I don't think it's a serious thing. And Di Canio was talking about his excitement about having Fletcher in the team and how he can work with the older Dory. Hasn't been the paper yet, so don't use it in the Northern Echo. But he was talking about that. So I, d- I think the last thing he's thinking about is uh, any kind of you know, bust up with Fletcher causing problems for the club. Yeah. So he didn't come in with a giant jar of mayonnaise and a big bottle of coke. Then. No, he did a good co- he did a cr- good good crow impression, but no, no nothing like that. There's enough. Just one thing, reading it in the the newspapers, it didn't say it was De Canio. It said it was one of the coaches, and I think everybody has to like take a step back and just have a look there. It wasn't De Canio. Now, if you're doing one to one with the coach, 
and you say something and they laugh, then me being a coach, I'd have slapped them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's anything. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, agree, I'd agree with you. And uh, I, over the years, I've heard so many rumours, and sometimes there is sort of like smoke, you know, there's, there's smoke where there's fire, sort of stuff that's coming in, but they rarely actually make, you know, they're never fatal, you know what I mean? People have, you know, Martin will tell you, you had bust ups all the time, but it's not a big deal. You think about yourself when, you know, whenever somebody's at work, how many arguments or little kind of mishaps do you have with people that you work with? I think it's just, just the same yeah, situation. You're going to get sucked in this. No, no. Yeah. But, you know, someone like, somewhere like Man City that has, you know, you, you can see into the training ground from walking around it. It's one of the only ones in the country that you can. That's how all the kind of leaks about Balotelli falling out with Mancini last season, that's how they came about. I mean, these things happen every day at a training ground. And it, it, it's a serious atmosphere, but... But, so know, it's just you lot blown out of proportion I, I don't in, know this, in this w- case. Now it now do with me, but, <laughs> no, but, the, but like the overriding point is that Ducani was really excited about the idea of Fletcher and Altidori working together. So there's no suggestion that there's any real problems there. You write that orally. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've written it already. <laughs> next, Gareth. Next Stephen question. Ruff. I know there was some criticisms during the first half of the podcast about um, the structure of the club, or like that, um, about the Huddleston deal and that type of thing. But I don't think we would have signed the players of the calibre of Cabral or Altador or anything like that without Defanti. How do the panel feel about that? What if Tacanio was left up to his own devices? Yeah, because yeah, he's his record Graham wasn't great at Swindon, was it? That's what when we have, when we have a lad on the podcast called Adam Johnson, well. We'll try to have him on. We keep getting problems whenever he's on and he keeps getting cut off. But one of his main points was that at Swindon, he wasn't great in the transfer market. So in, in a way, is it a blessing in disguise that he's, he's having this taken away from him? I, I was listening to Five Live a few months ago, uh, uh, 606. Um, other radio stations are available as well. Um, <laughs> and this eight-year-old kid rang up and he said, Decani was a great manager, but he's like a kid in a sweet shop when it comes to transfers. That's, that's an eight-year-old kid. So... <laughs> So I think I think there's massive turnover of players at Swindon. I don't know how many players came in, but there's the same amount kind of went out again. So it's so I think maybe this system will will kind of curb his ways a little bit. Because just because you've played football doesn't mean you can spot a good footballer. And exactly as they say, maybe he's. This is our scout here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't But he's as you say, he's probably just got to concentrate who he's got, knows what he wants. And then he's just got to deal with it, so he's just focusing on the first team. Yep. I think I think the fact that they were looking at someone like Mendy, who went to Marseille, and sort of, uh, that tells you that they're looking at the right sort of players. You know, the players have been looking at this summer seem to be top quality. That's got to be encouraging. Definitely. Next question, Gareth. Same gentleman again. Hello, you'd be sitting away by now. Um, an area we haven't covered yet, goalkeepers, which is close to my mind because I've been a keeper all my life. Um, first question is, Mingula to Liverpool, good or bad? And then the second question is, Westwood, am I none? Martin? If Mingula wanted to leave, I think you've got to let him go and get the best money you can get for him. Uh, otherwise, you've got an unhappy keeper. Um, good keeper, but not irreplaceable. I think Westwood done an adequate job when he was in before Minulier came into the team. And possibly if Westwood not got ill, I think it was against Man City, Minulier wouldn't have got in anyway. So I think you've got to stick with Westwood. He did nothing. Well, he never had a chance to do anything wrong Saturday. Um, Manone 
I've only seen for Arsenal. Doesn't fill his with confidence. So I think stick with Westwood at the minute. We say Minnie if he doesn't want to be here, get the best money he can, which I think the club probably did. He's somebody I thought would have stuck around a bit longer. You know, you read stuff in the papers and you, you get a, a feel for a player. And I thought he was somebody who was happy here, but Liverpool's come in and he, he wanted to go. So you, you just let him go and get money. Could so someone say no that deal, Richard? I think with with a year left on his contract, I think it was the right deal at the right time. Um, uh, they wouldn't have got any more for him. And as you say, you'd have had an unhappy goalkeeper for 12 months. Um, and it wasn't that long ago since since Westwood and, and Mignolet were, were kind of vying for the same position anyway. So, you know, they weren't that far apart. They weren't downgrading too much, were they? No, I mean, Mignolet towards like last season was just uh, amazing, amazing to watch. I mean, some of the saves he had no right to make. Um, some of the stuff he did was, was clearly kind of in the form of his life. So... You know the money has come come along, and that if it's helped build a new team from that, it, it can only be a good thing. Yeah. What about a show of hands for Minoni? <laughs> what for a breath? Like yeah, a poll? Get, get, get everyone involved. Get a poll for Minoni or Westwood. So f- right, raise, raise your hands for Westwood then. Someone's phone to vote in. <laughs> Someone's text. Someone's yeah. text in there for. Yeah. And now Minoni, Minoni then. Oh, Chris, Kristen, Kristen at the front, <laughs> done a sly little hand like yeah. that, know what he could say. <laughs> well, fair enough. To be fair, none of us have seen loads of Minoni, so we're not in a position to judge that much, surely. I think, we, I we, think, West, we, I think West would feel, a, would feel a little bit aggrieved if after kind of waiting for his chance, waiting for his chance, then they sign someone else who's the same age, roughly the same kind of standing as a goalkeeper, both internationals and... Not even in nationals. Can, can, national I, can, I just, can I just say I was gutted to see Megan Lee go? And um, one thing that really hurts me from covering some of this length of time is every now and again you get a fantastic player. And I think Megan Lee is a fantastic keeper. He can go all the way to the top. I, I thought he'd end up at Man United at some stage. He might still do. But. Well, Man United and Liverpool don't do business. No, they don't. But the point is what annoys me is that every now and again someone can have a top class player. And if Sunderland would actually end up in the top 10 or the top 8, a player wouldn't leave and you could build on it. And I was thinking about Kevin Phillips like 10, 15 years ago when he was top, a top-class player. And he was promised that the club was going to bring in players to help take them to the next level. And it never happened. So I just get frustrated because you get someone like Mickey and you think, well, God, you, can hang, your, you hang your hat on him, top quality, and build around him. And it's just a missed opportunity for me. Talking about centre midfielders, actually, and top quality players who were let down by the club. I think Don Hutchison's a good shout for somebody who was an excellent player. And then they didn't strengthen like they'd promised. And when he sold, it was kind of under a cloud. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you're talking about good quality centre midfielders that we've had in the past, there's probably one that fits in there. The bracket. Who play to the right, generally? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> you could play in the middle mm. if you want to do. <laughs> right. Like roamed inside. I've got this question from Craig Clark. I'll wade my way through, but uh, we might need about 40 minutes for, for this one. And <laughs> Is I it think an SAA? Is I it think an a few, No, I think a few people might want to have the say on this one because it's oh a bit right. of a controversial I know, I, know where, I know where we're going with this one, yeah. Right. Fascism, um, <laughs> Phil Bardsley, so surely the club is within its rights to sack the bloke. I don't know if there's a precedent for it, but I mean, you can't go on the way that he has been. If one of us did it in our workplace or work, surely you'd be at the... I mean, I know he's been disciplined, but come on. I mean, he's bringing the club's image, if nothing else, into, into a bad light. And is he not bringing the club into disrepute with his... 
and X. I think the club would, would have looked seriously into this, and that's probably why they've suspended him. If, they could have, if he could have gone, he would if have went. If they could have got rid of him, the probably would stray away. They're probably going through the whole legal process. So PFA are a very and strong if, union as well, aren't they? So they if they can't get rid of him, probably, there's a reason. Because he'll, he'll sue for unfair dismissal. You know, that's the thing. Um, and he probably win, you know. I mean, as I say, last year he was silly, but technically it was a Tuesday night. He did nothing wrong, but it didn't, it didn't come across great, you know. We used to do it in our day, two pences on us. <laughs> no, but technically, all he did, he was in the casino and he laid down on the floor, covered it. Technically, it wasn't wrong. A few hands got technically, up there. Technically, in, <laughs> I thought this in his contract... Spark up a little bit of a I'm not... In my... But in a, in, a, in a sense of trying to get rid of and sack somebody, technically, all he's done, not 48 hours, be, if it was 48 hours before a game, maybe they might have had a, a leg to stand on. But if they had tried and sack him, which I'm sure they looked at, they would have said, Phil would have said, I was, I was in the casino and laid down, somebody took a photograph of us. Tacani would have been there for like four or five I'm not sticking off him, by the way. No, well... You seem to be. No, but I'm saying I'm playing devil's advocate. Tacani would have been there for four or five weeks and he'd been going on about this, whatever you think of him, professionalism, let's have the right attitude, blah, blah, blah. And Barsley still went out and still did what he did. Aye. Sorry. No, I'm not saying he's right. And I, I totally agree with what Tacani's trying to implement into the club. I think it's fantastic what Tacani's trying to implement into the club, the professionalism. But as I'm going back to if they're trying to sack him, if you look at technically, he's done nothing wrong. I'm not saying he hasn't done anything wrong. I'm just going the technicalities. If you well, if you if you're going to go to court with Phil, if you're going to cope with Phil Bardsley, he hasn't done anything wrong, really, in the eyes of the law. <laughs> just to let you know that I arrange the Player of the Year do for the supporters every year, and we were told that we would have that Tuesday as the Player of the Year do. Then it was cancelled because we were told no players were allowed out during the week. On the Wednesday morning, I opened the papers and saw him with the £50 notes round his body. Uh, I wasn't a happy puppy. Oh, I don't understand. So, uh, first of all... I, first I don't of think Martin's... I'm not, I'm not in saying what he did was but right. First of all... I'm just answering the question... Yeah, talking about should the PFA get involved but and stuff, you can't... You, know, you know, can't just get rid of I thought... I, I'm the first one to say I thought it looked terrible. First of all, you know, why was he out? If we were told the, the, the players couldn't go out, then why was he out? You have to ask him. I'm, not answer, I'm just answering the question of why can we not sack him. I'm not saying it was right. I didn't think it was right. I thought it looked terrible, got to be honest. And I think the thing he done on Saturday was total disrespect. Richard? You know, but I'm just answering the question. If, if you want to sack the... He asked, can we get rid of him? And I said, I don't think he can because in his contract, and the contract footballers sign... Technically, with that, if you go to court of law, he hasn't done anything wrong. Richard? And that's what the club will be looking at. Richard? I, th I think he's been suspended for, for sending a stupid message on Instagram. I think that that's what it boils down to. And it, it's very difficult. I mean, we could all say it's a bad thing, which it is. But as, as you say, to kind of prove that in an in a employment tribunal situation, it's going to be difficult to make it stick. 
that's that's the thing. I don't think anybody's saying that he, you know, Martin wasn't. No, he, he wasn't sticking up for what he done it but at all. There's at only all. so you can't just suck people with no reason. And and when they start getting involved with stuff, he can say, well, what what is? Because what he's done wrong is just down to interpretation, isn't it? At the end of the day. We'll move on from it anyway, I think, unless it's the same. Oh, is it the same? Okay. Actually, it's just the same point. I was going right. to say, as someone who deals with like employment tribunals right, and stuff, there you go. Here we I've, go. Got, I've got to say that technically it would be very difficult to win that case. Mm. So, uh, from the club's case, they'd have a real problem and they'd be setting themselves up for liable for a lot of money, potentially. Absolutely agree. Um, so, much as they might want to sack them, I want to sack people sometimes, it's not that easy. You've got to be able to prove it. So I want to back up what you see in there. What it might do, though, is it might it might spark discussions between the player and the club, where they say, "Look, things have completely broken down now. Maybe we can discuss ripping up the contract and severance or something, and, 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 yeah. and severing it by mutual consent." If they did that, that allows, and obviously they have to come to financial arrangements, but it would mean that Barnsley can be a free agent and start again looking for a club. And from someone's point of view, they get some of that wages off the bill which means they can start looking to bring in an extra player or two. Well, that, that might have been the reason why I did it Saturday, just to try and to push, push it, push it over. Push a move, push something. You know, that might be the whole reason he did it. Why, he might as well just run out with a Newcastle top on. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do think it's a shame, though, because as, as the media, we deal with players all the time. And whatever you think about Phil Bardsley, when he was playing, he gave everything. And he was one of the few players who come out and taught the press after they got defeated. He was one of the prime movers in organising things socially. I don't mean necessarily casino nights out, but in terms of like doing things with fans. So he was, he was in many ways, a good bloke. I just think it's kind of a shame how it's... Nothing he can do now can pull him back from where he was. You know what I mean? He's, the, the casino thing was bad enough, but the whole text thing, he's just completely burned his bridges with something. I think it's a shame because he put in a lot of good performances over the years. Mm. He'll, be, he'll be remembered twice. for this now. He'll be remembered for this. So we're moving on, Gareth. I would to Probably the last one, I think. Because uh, they've got to get away the meeting. Really? Phil Bardsley in the casino. <laughs> <laughs> Colin. It's one for Martin. The last one. He wants a bit of a guilty pleasure. Martin, uh, I just want to know. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Ah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> what was the the best three players that you played with, and what was the best three players that you played against? We had to go out with that question. It was always going to happen something like always that. for Sunderland. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, the players I the players I played with were no, for no, Sunderland. For, for, for Sunderland. Um, Kevin Phillips just stood out by a mile. Even when he first came, first few training sessions, he, he never hit the ground running with Sunderland. I think he missed a penalty. I think it was either against Charlton or Swindon and things weren't quite going his way. But as a player, as soon as he, just the best finisher he, I've ever come across and just since or before, he, he was absolutely fantastic. And I think even now you just see, still playing at 40, it's just a testament to how good he was. Um, Another couple of... Old Drinking buddy Michael was Mickey Gray was I don't think he gets as enough credit as he, he deserves off a lot of people, but he was a top, top class left back. Wasn't the best defensively, you'd fancy yourself against him in training, but he's he made Alan Johnson look a million dollars. He made me look a lot better than I probably was. You know, he 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 just went up and down all day. He'd go past Jay Chalfort, you didn't give him it. He'd just go back and he'd just keep going. Um, just fantastic 
really good left back who probably we've never replaced. Um, in the early days when I first started, uh, Johnny Byrne, I don't know if anybody, Johnny Byrne was, he was unreal. He was, and I learned a lot from Johnny, not the fact he went to the, the calf and drank cans. That, was, <laughs> that wasn't part of it. it was, uh, he was a, a really good footballer. Just technically, he was probably like a Berbatov of his age. He was, he was just, he just oozed class. And he was somebody I learned a lot from in the early days. Um, but there's been some, some great, I mean, I've seen them and I'm probably missing, missing loads. Quinny was obviously, if you were struggling, just got the ball and boomed it up front. Quinny would get all of it. Alex Ray, Nicky Summerby, best cross of the ball you ever see. You know, I was, I was uh, lucky enough to play with a lot of good players. What about played against? Played against, the best player I've played against by a million miles was when I was at Northampton. We pulled Man United in the FA Cup and I was playing left wing and I come up against this young kid called Ronaldo. <laughs> <laughs> I still had visions, I had it. <laughs> I thought, I can still make my way back to the Premier League and I played against this kid. <laughs> and I'd seen him on the telly giving it all this step I was in. I'm thinking, just somebody kick him. <laughs> and I went to kick him. By the time I'd pulled my leg back, he just megged us and gone. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you're in the best league for you. <laughs> uh, he was, I've never come, I was, I was, I played for England under 15s all the way to 21s and I played against a lot of good players, but nobody ever come close to him. It was, it was frightening. Um, in, the, in the league was Saul Campbell. He was he was a big fella who just growled at you and I. Uh, but the one of the hardest lads was ever I ever played against was Tony Thomas. We played Tramway, I think it was me probably my third or fourth away game. And this was when full backs were full backs and they could bite you and get away with it. There was no cameras in the ground and this he just says, Oh, you knew it the game, aren't you? I says, Oh I so I'm going to fucking, ooh, can I swear? <laughs> 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 I'm on to effing kill you. <laughs> I thought, oh, Jesus. And he was, he was, Johnny Kay, Ball, he was exactly the same. I was sticking the ball through Johnny Kay's leg once. He says, do that again, I'll break your effing legs. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in training. But Tony Thomas from Trammy was exactly the same. And he got a move to Everton, I think, not long after that. I think the fact he made a left winger cry sealed the deal. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Oh, we're we going. Sorry. Welcome, Richard. I was, I was just about to mention there, uh, just talking about John Kay. We, I played in a charity thing with him a couple of years ago, um, and somebody nutmegged him and shouted, Megs, as they ran past. And he, and he almost started on him. It was like, people had to kind of hold him back. It's like, remember, it's a charity thing. Oh, <laughs> right. but speaking of charities, before we go out, um, proceeds of tonight go to a charity uh, close to Richard's heart. I'll let him explain it. Um, but it's it's kind of come about a bit weirdly, really. I'm I'm doing a, a kind of 60 miles for charity this year, um, doing three half marathons, a few 10Ks and a few 5Ks. Um, and it's raising money for the Finley Cooper Fund, which is the Colin Cooper's son who, who died when he was very young, um, and also for the Alzheimer's Society. Um, and I, I didn't ask for it to happen, but uh, Gareth and Stephen said that they donate any proceeds to, to those charities tonight, which I'm, I'm really happy about. I'm, I'm, I'd like to thank them for, for doing that. It's a very, and thanks all for coming as well, because it's, it's a great, it's a great yeah. So we'll end it there. I'd like to thank well, everybody. There's going to be a, you can put no, we'll not end it there, then. There's a, there's a jar. So yeah, we're going to put know. the jar. We'll if you've got any spare change, 
put some money in there and then it'll go to that. But he is do. I have to say with Richard, I've known him for a very long time. And uh, Richard's actually running these 60 miles with one hip. Like he has one hip, basically. I might be allowed, I'm, he's, he, you know, remember when Kevin Kyle was out forever, like two years? Not long enough. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he's basically got the same thing as that. So, you know, when he was at school, he couldn't play football or anything like that. So to come okay, back. No. And that's, to, the medical, and that's yeah. the medical terms, the same thing as that. So that's what the doctor said to him when he went there. But yeah, he's done terrifically well to, to, get, to get to where he is. So I think it's a tremendous effort. Okay. So well done to him. All right, thank you all thank for you. coming. I'm going to stick with Pinecast on the front. If anybody does want to put a couple of quid in for the charity, that would be great. And keep listening to the podcast. I'm assuming most people in here have listened to it. Um, if not... It's available every week. We record every Thursday. Just Google it and you'll be able to listen to it on iTunes iTunes, or stream it through SoundCloud or Rock Report, put it on their site, Solution and put it on their site. And thanks for coming along and I'm sure we'll do it again. Like a thank you, Barry. Yep, over and out. That's it. Thanks. <laughs>